0: You know, today is Mother's Day, and uh, <clears throat> I was thinking back this week of all the people that were influencers in my life, and I, I don't know who those influencers might be in your life, but I can say that my mom was a huge influence in who I am and what I am, and my dad was as well. Uh, so this morning, we're going to talk a little bit about influence, because one of the things that we get from uh, from our relationships with our parents is that... that shaping of us as we're young people. And then as we grow even into adulthood, that kind of stays the same, doesn't it? They work with us and, uh, and they tell us our opinion. Sometimes we, we, we don't appreciate it, but they're working to, to still shape who we are and who they want us to be. You know, and that's not just a phenomenon that we experience. In Proverbs, the 31st chapter, that's a famous chapter in the Old Testament, and a lot of people look at the second half of Proverbs 31, and there's a a great bit of teaching there about this noble woman and her endeavors, and it certainly is a great great bit of of wisdom from the Old Testament. But I want us to notice this morning the first nine verses of Proverbs 31, because the first nine verses of Proverbs 31 is the mother of King Lemuel. And she's writing to her son, attempting to influence her son, who is the king, on the content of his character. You read with me if you have your Bible with you, you can flip there. Proverbs 31. <clears throat> There's a little bit of a of a little bit of an outcry from the mom. And if you've ever had a mom that's a little bit like mine, you know exactly the inflection that's in her voice right here. She said, What my son? What son to whom I gave birth? <laughs> That's a mom thing, isn't it, right? A lot of love mamas, but mamas will say, I carried you for nine months, right? You wouldn't know the things that I've done for you. And she's kind of giving her son a little bit of that right here. What son of my prayers. <laughs> That's something else that mothers do, isn't it? Their children, no matter how big and important they are, no matter how small and, and young they are, no matter how disappointing they've been, Or how successful they've been. Children are always near and dear to their mother's heart. And Lemuel's mother is saying, I'm praying for you, son uh, of whom I love, son that I gave birth, son of my prayers. And then she proceeds to give her son some advice some advice on what he should do as a king. Two of the bits of advice that she gives is, be careful of women who wanna destroy you. And uh, secondly, beware of alcohol. And we'll talk about that a little bit as we close today. Um, Her good advice to her son, some great advice for all of us. But I wanna wanna just stop for a moment and notice what she's doing right here. Because she's doing something that almost every mom does. And in fact, all of us should be doing. Years and years ago, I went to a leadership conference. And while I was there, the leader of the conference came out and kind of gave, gave a keynote address. And he said something that I'll never forget. He said, leadership is not a position. Leadership is influence. Leadership is not just about a title, but it's about the ability to take somebody from where they are and move them to a place where they need to be or should be. And we're going to talk this morning about, well, a mom in the Bible whose influence is long felt really even still to this day. Even though she herself was never anything important, and even though she was probably not noted to be a particularly famous person in her day, the influence that she had over her children had a remarkable, a remarked effect over the entirety of the Old Testament. Many of the stories that we know and cherish are stories with the people that she influenced directly involved. And so without further ado, if you have your Bible, why don't you turn there with me today? Because the book of Exodus begins with an interesting narrative. We're going to be in Exodus for a while today. It's a narrative, really, of God's people living in the land of slavery, oppressed and broken. And in the midst of this, the Pharaoh at the time stops and notices that while the rest of the land of Egypt seems to be kind of just going on ho-hum, Over in the land of Goshen, these foreigners, these people who were welcomed there generations before by a son who then was a ruler of Egypt, Joseph, have been blessed by God. And he notices that in comparison with the other Egyptians, their their influence is very, very great in his land. Their numbers are increasing and multiplying substantially. And he reasons that if they wanted to, they could act with aggression and overtake the nation of Egypt. And so he sets about to oppress that group of people. And you know the story that there's there's slave masters placed over God's people, the Israelites, and they began, began to be a slave labor force, making bricks out of mud and straw and clay to build cities for the Pharaoh. Side note here, but if you go to Egypt today, you can find some of this very brick that's still in existence. And even kind of more remarkable, there's a, one city in one particular place where there's, where there's different stratas of the brick and the t- bricks that are on the top of that strata lack straw. And if you read through the story of the Exodus, you know that one of the things that the Egyptian, that uh, the Pharaoh did was withhold straw from God's people, but they still had to make the same number of bricks. Just a side note. But in the midst of that story, God continues to bless so much so that the Pharaoh decides that the only remedy is to kill off the next generation of young men, to stop that next generation of potential soldiers from taking their place in the ranks of the Israelite people. And so he gives a commandment that every, bo- or every son born to an, to an Israelite family must be thrown into the river Nile. And that sets the backdrop for where we are today. Because the first thing that I want us to notice is that if we want to be people of influence, moms, if you're out there today and you're like, I really want to influence my children to walk and to be the kind of people that God wants them to be, to walk as Jesus walked and to share and to live as Jesus lived, one of the first things that we've got to do is what this family did, and that simply is to live boldly. There's always an option to not live boldly. There's always an option for us to take the easy way out or the coward's way out, if you will. But in this case, Abraham, or Abraham, listen to me, Moses' mother chose to live with boldness. And that boldness translates into a fantastic story. Exodus 2 and verse 1, it says this. It says, a man from the household of Levi, which is a priestly family, right? Married a woman who was a descendant of Levi. That doesn't sound very exciting. Two people got together. And yet that's how almost every story in this world starts, isn't it? A boy and a girl find each other in a great big world. They fall in love. And soon enough, God blesses with children. Motherhood is not something that's particularly complicated. But what happens in Jochebed's case is remarkable. Hebrews gives us the shortened version of the story. So we'll go with that today in Hebrews, the 11th chapter and verse 23, when it says, By faith, when Moses was born, his parents hid him for three months because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. I always like to joke, now what had happened if Moses was not a beautiful kid? What if Moses had been an ugly baby? But the truth is, is that his parents had made a decision to live boldly. They were going to do what they knew God called them to do. And they weren't afraid of the Pharaoh's edict. They weren't afraid of what Pharaoh was saying. He said, throw the baby, but they weren't going to do that. Now you think, what if they had been found out? There's a lot for them to lose. Perhaps they would have lost their lives. But also, she had other people that were a part of her family, her husband and two other children, Miriam and Aaron. It could be that the entire family would pay the price for the bold move that she made. But Jochimed wasn't afraid of that. She was committed to live boldly. Can I ask you today, what, what is it that makes you afraid? I think a lot of us tend to function and make decisions, both with our families and with our children, and even with our interactions with people from the outside based on fear. We don't really like something that our children are doing, but we're afraid to confront that. We don't really like an influence that's changing the the, the spiritual nature or the character of our children's lives, but we're afraid to kick up sand or to make too much ruckus about it. Jochebed was willing to live boldly. The king said, get rid of your baby. Jochebed said, no, (laughs) it's wrong. And I think deep down inside, she knew that God had a bigger purpose for that boy. And he surely did. You know, there's a lot of things that in this story that challenge us. And this is maybe one of the biggest ones. People who are half-hearted, who are fearful or indifferent, are by definition, not bold. And when you read through the story of what Jochebed did, she was none of those things. So let me just talk about four things that we should think of when we think of boldness. Because maybe you're thinking today, well, Jason, I'm not Jochebed. I'm not Jochebed's husband. I'm not sure that I would be willing to go against what the king said that was obviously very wrong. But I, I don't know if I would be willing to risk everything that she risked to do the right thing. Well, I think there's four things that we need to notice about boldness, because if we're not careful, boldness can easily become arrogance, can't it? First thing is, is that our boldness should become or should come directly from our relationship with Christ. One of the beautiful things you see in the life and the ministry of Jesus is that while he was bold and tenacious, he was always humble and completely in submission to the Father. It's one of the things that made his teaching so influential. You might remember a time when when soldiers were sent to arrest Jesus in the temple. And as they arrived there, Jesus was doing some teaching. And they were to come back to the chief priest in the Sanhedrin empty-handed. And they were frustrated. They said, we we sent you to arrest the man. And they said, this man speaks with boldness. This man speaks with power. They They were influenced by the message that Jesus delivered. It was a message that was based on something firm. It was principled. And Jesus was principled. It's important that our boldness isn't just come from stubbornness or arrogance. It's important that our boldness comes from our relationship with Jesus Christ. Secondly, it's important to recognize that the spirit empowers boldness. After Jesus would ascend and go into heaven, the disciples would be in the temple teaching and kind of continuing the ministry that Jesus had started The same Sanhedrin that had taken the life of Jesus, the same chief priests and scribes and leaders of the people that had ordered or set up for Jesus to be crucified arrested the apostles. And when they speak in front of that board of of leaders, their boldness and their conviction is evident. It tells us something. It says that, (laughs) that they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Jesus told his disciples that Don't worry, when you get in those kinds of places, the Spirit will give you utterance, the words that you're to speak. And the Spirit still works, although differently, in our lives today. The Spirit still encourages us and motivates us. Maybe you've experienced that at some point where you really knew that you needed to take a stand on a particular issue. You knew you needed to have a conversation with somebody. You really knew what you needed to do, but you were nervous or hesitant. And then in that moment, as you pick up that phone or you go and schedule that meeting or you sit down with that person, it seems like the words that didn't come to your mind before all of a sudden were able to roll off your tongue. And I think that's the Spirit working in us leading us and guiding us. When our hearts are in harmony with God and our intentions are where God's intentions are, our boldness doesn't come across as arrogance, but comes across as as strength of conviction. And that's very influential. Thirdly, it's important for us to pray for boldness. Not to just be people that want to be bold, but to pray for boldness. While we're talking about things that happened in and around the latter part of Jesus' uh, ministry and then the beginning of the church, one of my favorite passages uh, of that time is in Acts, the fourth chapter, when the apostles and the church were definitely feeling the heat of persecution. And it says that they gathered together and prayed for boldness, and the place where they were praying was shaken. God answered that prayer that day in an enormous way. But God still answers those prayers today in very real ways. The fourth thing is, is that <clears throat> boldness is contagious. When one person stands up and says, okay, we're not going to do this thing that is wrong. Notice that the Pharaoh here wasn't just asking the people to provide uh, bricks. They've been doing that for a long time. And no doubt, Jochebed and her husband were a part of that. He wasn't just asking for a tax. He wasn't asking for them to contribute to the nation of Egypt. Nope. His request was not just a request of something from them, but he was requesting that they compromise their own moral convictions, that they take the life of their own child. And that boldness that Jochebed shows in this next bit of the story has had a contagious effect for generations of people who have read it. Because we read in and we look at this and we say, you know what, that's That's great. I'm gonna look for another option, just like Moses's mother did. You know, the best way to start a, a movement of bold witness is to step out with a bold witness of our own. And Satan will try to discourage us in every way possible. He'll tell us, oh, you're, you don't know enough about the Bible to really share with people, or, or, or you're gonna stammer and stutter over your words just like I do, right? You're, you're going to say the wrong thing at the wrong time. You're going to ruin a relationship. Those the lies that Satan tells me and he tells you, don't believe them. Sometimes we need to be bold. Sometimes that boldness just requires for us to step out and you'll see others follow with you. The second thing that Jochebed, Moses' mother does, that's noteworthy in this story, is that she was willing to invest and invest deeply. I like how the story continues. So let's just pick it up there in Exodus, the second chapter. It says that when she could hide him no longer, and if you've had a little kid around, by the time they're two or three months old, they're not sleeping near as much as they were. And their cries aren't whimpery, quiet infant cries, but they start to get some lungs on them, right? She couldn't hide him any longer. Someone was going to find out there was a baby in that house. And so when she could hide him no longer, she took uh, took for him a basket made of bulrushes she dabbed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it, and she placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. So in effect, she made a basket. She sealed up that basket to make it waterproof. She wraps this precious little son up in his little blankets. She lays him in this basket and slips him into the river. Yes, in theory, she was doing exactly what Pharaoh had said. But she was putting this child adrift with a great deal of faith. The life of Jochebed teaches us that women of influence and people of influence at times have to recognize that we've we've done all we can and then be willing to place the future into God's hands. You know, for a lot of us, this is a really difficult thing to do. We're good when we can be hands-on. We're good when we can try to keep that baby quiet. We're good when we're sneaking here and sneaking there, not mentioning that new child that's in our home, maybe keeping our, uh, our clothes loose so no one notices that we're pregnant. We're, we're kind of good about doing the things that we can do. But it's hard for us to let God do the things that only He can do. Jochebed was willing to do that. And you know, our investment in children ultimately models the Lord's investment in them. You know, sometimes we, we get to the place where our kids are in, in high school or they're leaving college, and that's a hard place for us as parents, isn't it? Some of you guys are going through that right now where those, those little babies that were just first going to school a couple years ago are now sending out their cards with senior pictures or about to enter their senior year. And as a parent, you know, I'm about to turn them loose into a world that is full of uncertainties. Certainly all those emotions had to be weighing heavily on Jacobed as she turned loose that little basket. But Jacobed knew that she wasn't turning him loose alone. She was leaving him there, but she was leaving him there in the care of a creator. And just in case there was anything needed, anything needed, she left Miriam watching from a distance. You know, there's a few simple ways that right now all of us can invest in other people. We've talked about these, but I think that they're good things for us to remind ourselves of. The first one is simply that we can pray for people. No matter any amount of separation or staying home, doesn't prevent us from having an opportunity to pray for people who need prayers. And listen, guys, there's a lot of people right now, there's some people that just really enjoy the stay-at-home time. And there's a lot of people right now that are really struggling. Sometimes it's financial struggles. Sometimes it's with the kids, just always being there and not any break from the kids, it's a struggle. And a lot of us remember those days when our kids were small. Some of us are are dealing with the fact that we're not used to being socially isolated. We're used to going and doing, and all of a sudden our world has become very small and that's uncomfortable for us. And so there's a lot of people, uh, many, many more than what are on the prayer list even this morning that need our prayers. There's people that are struggling with the disease like Ms. Amy Hanks and others who are older and and, uh, in nursing care, like Ms. Ruby Spell. So there's always a, a million people that we could pray for. And sometimes we get so busy that we forget that when we lift up people in prayer, we're literally placing them in the hand of the one who is in control of everything. We recognize that we aren't, but He is. Second thing we can do to invest in other people is to study Scriptures together with people. Sometimes that can be something very informal. I, through this, um, through this uh, quarantine with the virus, it's been fun because there's been several different kinds of Bible studies that have kind of continued. Tuesday mornings, the men get together and they pray together. The women have a, have a video Bible study that they get on Zoom and they do. The students do an Instagram Bible study or some Zoom, some Zoom activities. Um, there's, been a, there's been a Google Bible study where people are just typing their responses to one another as they study the Bible together. That's one of the beautiful things. that's a result of this. It's so important for us to, to get together and to open the Word both independently and with a group and just study the Word to seek what it is that God is trying to show us. The third thing I think we can do to invest in one another and invest in people is to simply learn to Listen. I'll be honest, listening is a hard thing for me. My granddad, when I was young and first learning to talk, he would joke that I was vaccinated with a phonograph needle. I guess I've always liked to talk. But when we're good at talking or we like to talk, sometimes we're not very good at listening. The Bible says to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. One of the greatest ways that we can invest in people is simply being willing to listen. Sometimes all people need is just somebody to hear what they have to say. Years ago in marriage, I learned that when Michelle would talk to me, I would think I had to fix things, when really all she wanted was for me to just listen to her point of view. Mothers are often good listeners. One of the things I miss about my mom, her being around is is if I picked up the phone and I was struggling with something, my mom was always willing to listen. And she had an opinion, you can be sure but you would listen and hear me out. Listening is really a valuable way for us to invest in people and probably underappreciated by most people. The last of these is just to be an intentional investor. A lot of people are investing right now in the stock market. A lot of my friends are trying to look for bargains right now, right? They've lost a lot. So they're trying to kind of pick some stuff off the bottom and see if they can build back that portfolio. And and a successful investor is somebody who's intentional, who has a plan and executes that plan, who knows what they want to accomplish and works towards accomplishing that goal. And that's critical. Being an intentional investor is not something that just happens, But when we're intentional in how we invest in people, it gives God opportunities to work as well. Just think about, well, think about investment in Jochebed's story. So Jochebed puts Moses in a little basket and places him in the river. But God does 90% of the growth here, right? Paul said, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gives the increase, And certainly God was active in the story of Moses because she just happened to put Moses in the right spot of the Nile. The Nile's a big river, a massive river, but it was just in the right spot where the daughter of the Pharaoh would come and visit that spot in the water, right? And then Moses just happened to maybe cry at the right time and catch the attention of the daughter of the Pharaoh. And Miriam just happened to be on her post nearby. I'm sure her mama posted her there, but she just happened to be in the right place at the right time. And of course, Jochebed was more than happy to be a a nurse for this little child. And Pharaoh's daughter just happened to have enough influence to save that little baby from death. If you don't know the story of Moses, Miriam, Miriam, after the little baby's discovered by Pharaoh's daughter, Miriam comes out and says, hey, would you like me to find you somebody to take care of that baby, to nurse that baby until he's weaned? And And Pharaoh's daughter, of course, said yes, because she's a princess. She didn't have time to be be cluttered up with changing diapers, right? And so she said, that would be great. And what does Miriam do? Well, she goes and gets Moses's very mother. And for the first two or so years of his life, he was raised in the home of the very one who gave him birth. A beautiful story about how God works. A beautiful story of faith and trust and God's active working in the lives of those whom he loved. You and I both know that the stories of faith and trust don't stop right there. (laughs) There's a lot of them. And one last thing that I think that is so important to notice is the role that Jochebed had in being a servant. (laughs) She was willing to serve humbly. Here's what Miriam says in verse number seven of Exodus, the second chapter. She says, shall I go and Call a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you. And Pharaoh's daughter said, go. And the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said, take this child away and nurse him for me. And I will give you wages. Not only did she get to spend those first two years with her own son, but she got paid to do it. Isn't that fun how God works sometimes? And uh, you know what, guys, in the world, we, we define greatness in terms of power in terms of possessions, in terms of prestige, in terms of position. We, we look at things that we can do or how people look up to us. But when Jesus talked about greatness, Jesus measured greatness in terms of service, not status. God determines our greatness not by how other people look at us by how we serve other people. Mark the ninth chapter, this moment where Jesus calls the 12 in verse 35, and he sits down with them and he says, if anyone would be first, he must be the last of all and the servant of all. Before this, they were having a discussion about who was the greatest, right? They wanted to figure out who's top dog. And and everyone's worried about that today, right? We we like to know who's going to get the gold medal. Who will finish in first place? Who's the richest person in America? Who's the most influential in the world? Those are the questions that we have. Jesus sat down with the disciples and said, hey, guys, I want you to know how it works in my kingdom. If you want to be the greatest, if you want to be the one that excels, If you want to be the one that catches the attention of the Father, you be the one that considers yourself least of all or last of all and serves everyone else. That's hard to do, isn't it? I think sometimes moms maybe have a little upper leg on some of the rest of us in this area. They're so often the ones that are sacrificially giving and caring. And so often without thanks, and I think that's why it's so important that we have Mother's Day and Father's Day. As, we, uh, as a culture, we collectively just stop and say thank you to the people who filled those very, very important roles in each of our lives. Service is not something that's necessarily exciting. <laughs> service is something sometimes that takes more than we receive back from it. But service is something that's absolutely essential to be the kind of person that we're called to be. Your shape in ministry reveals, or your shape in life reveals your ministry, but your servant's heart reveals your maturity. All of us have skills and abilities that we can bring to the table, but it's when we're willing to serve sacrificially that we actually reach a mature place in Christianity. For a lot of us, Walking with God is about what God can do for me or what can God do for other people or what do I get from church or from Bible study or from prayer? When a more mature response would be, what can I give to the one who's given me so much? What can I, how can I serve the body of Christians in the place where I live? Jacobed was willing to do whatever it took to make sure that this little boy of hers had the best start that he could have. And you know, when you stop to think, well, what did Jochebed accomplish? (laughs) Well, she actually accomplished a great deal. Now, at first, it might not look like she accomplished anything. I'm certain that she grew old and closed her eyes in death and thought to herself it was all for nothing. My son went to live in the the palace of the king and surely we hoped that he would somehow get the Pharaoh's ear and and release us and allow us to go and find a place of our own. But no, he he got in trouble when he was 40 years old and ran off and no one's seen him since. Maybe she died with a heart that was full of sorrow. Maybe she died rather disappointed. What Jochebed didn't know is that God wasn't finished yet. What she didn't know that was when her son was 80 years old, <laughs> the Lord would appear to him in a form of a burning bush. When her son was 80 years old, he would return to the land of captivity. He would stand before a Pharaoh who probably hadn't even been born yet and demand with signs and powerful wonders that that Pharaoh release God's people. What she had no way to know in those years where she was working with this boy and, and raising him up, is that her influence would allow him to become the kind of leader that would be able to lead possibly a million plus people out of the land of bondage and to the border of the land of promise. And it wasn't just Moses that was influenced by Jochebed, was it? Think about it. Aaron, the first high priest, her son. Miriam, the first worship leader in a sense that we see in Scripture, Her daughter. Now, Jochebed herself maybe never accomplished great things that the world took note of. But we know her name today because her influence was real in the life of her children. And God took her children and used them to do amazing and powerful things. Moms, never underestimate the power of your influence on your kids. Don't be afraid on occasion to leverage that influence if you see them going in a direction that you don't want to see them going. They might push back a little. I surely did. My mom could see this today. She would say he did a lot, right? But that influence, that influence sometimes keeps us in the place where we need to be. We might not look like we're listening, but we are listening. Back in Proverbs 31, this mom says, What, my son, what son whom I gave birth, what son of my prayers? Don't give your strength to a woman or the power to those who ruin kings. It is not for kings, Lemuel. It is not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to crave liquor. Otherwise, they drink and forget what they have decreed and change the standard of justice for all oppressed people. Give liquor to the person who's dying and wine to the one who feels, uh, who feels broken. Such a person drinks and forgets and does not remember their trouble anymore. Speak out for the one who cannot speak, for the rights of those who are doomed. Speak out, judge fairly, and defend the rights of oppressed and needy people. This mom is coming to her son and she's saying something to her son that's really powerful. Limuel. You're greater than that. Lemuel, you're a king. Don't allow women to cut in and, and rob your influence like Solomon did. Lemuel, you're a king. Don't allow liquor and alcohol to, to judge your, or to cloud your judgment. Lemuel, you have a bigger purpose. Your purpose is to be a godly and righteous and just ruler of the people that God has put underneath you. I think this passage is in Scripture right here in Proverbs 31 because it reminds us that influence, and especially a mom's influence, makes a great difference in this world.